You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. Go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Luke 24, verse 13. Last week, we talked about disguises in a negative way uh, because, you know, they were, you know, fake faith uh, can look like the real thing. It, it can con uh, someone, but really the only person they're conning with fake faith is themselves. And we need sincerity of faith. But this week, the disguise is totally different. Yeah, Jesus is the one who puts on the disguise. It's intentional, but it's not for selfish gain. And in Luke 24, Jesus goes undercover and he's hiding in plain sight. And it reminds me of a story uh, that you may have heard before. On January 12th, 2007, uh, in a metro station in Washington, D.C., uh, a man began, he opened up his violin case, took out his violin, and he began playing. Uh, he played six pieces of Bach and he played them to perfection. And uh, he played for, you know, it was a metro station, so maybe a thousand or uh, two thousand people had walked by as he was playing. And only six of them in that hour, two hours or so, stopped to listen to him. And uh, another 20 came by and dropped money in his, his little violin case. Uh, but they, they probably did it more out of sympathy than gratitude because they didn't stop to even uh, listen to him. And uh, in total, he collected $32 in that time. Uh, when he finished, no one noticed, no one applauded. There was only one woman who actually stayed behind because she recognized him as a famous musician. He was the finest, one of the finest classical musicians in the world. He was violinist Joshua Bell. He had just played some of the most elegant music ever written on a violin worth three and a half million dollars. And two days prior, he had played to a sold out Boston theater where the average seat was a hundred bucks a piece. <laughs> and all this was really a setup. It was a setup by the Washington Post to be staged as a social experiment. And here's the experiment. In a commonplace environment, at an inappropriate hour, do we perceive beauty? Do we stop to appreciate it? Do we recognize it in an unexpected context or in the midst of our daily routines? I mean, if we won't stop for just a moment to listen to one of the best musicians in the world playing some of the best music ever written, what else are we missing? Who are we failing to recognize? In Luke 24, there's a beautiful passage of a story of Jesus who takes the necessary steps to help us recognize him. And so I want us to read this together. Normally, I would have you stand in honor of God's word, but this is a long passage, so I'd rather you sit and concentrate. All right? Luke 24, verse 13. These are the words of God. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, y'all, this is on the, by the way, this is on an Easter Sunday we're talking about. The first Easter is, is happening, and we're reading it, all right? Verse 17. Jesus said to them, 
what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And there's the start of Jesus' question. And they stood still looking sad because it, it brought memories of what had happened three days before. Verse 18, then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them again, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. You know, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they didn't find the body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us. For it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. I want to ask Daniel Isbell to come and ask God's blessings on our message today. He's doing double duty, security and prayer today. That's okay, bud. That's okay, man. <laughs> All right, here we go. Lord, we just want to thank you and say to you first, thank you for making the ultimate sacrifice. Because of your son, we all now have the best insurance policy ever. <clears throat> we asked you, he just went through his words to lift us up open our hearts and lead us into the narrow gate that leads to life. I ask you to provide safety for us on the travels home. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Daniel. All right, y'all have seen Undercover Boss. Anybody ever seen the Undercover Boss show? That's where these CEOs and company VIPs who are, you know, usually so far removed from the dirt and grime of, of the daily workers that, that earn them their fat paychecks that they uh, really don't know how hard their jobs are on the bottom, you know. So these uh, top brass go undercover and uh, to get that, an idea of just how hard life really is. Well... God is no undercover boss, you know, but he did come to, to earth undercover, <laughs> uh, even as a baby. And he didn't uh, film some Hollywood reality show. He came to actually suffer and to be tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin, according to Scripture. There's just one problem. Most people, you heard Daniel refer to the narrow gate in his prayer. Most people missed Jesus, right? Right? 
But today, we get another chance. Amen? We get another chance to see him. God, God is revealing himself to us, and we see that through Jesus' question. What are you talking about? And with that question, he slowly starts to reveal himself to these people he's walking with. And so I want to share today the steps God takes to reveal himself to us. And there's going to be four of these. And the first of those steps began thousands of years before Luke was ever born or ever wrote this passage. Right. And it's in the book of Genesis. Right. So step one, God opens his mouth and speaks us into creation, all right? The three greatest and original words that reveal God's desire to be with us was the fact that he spoke us into being. He made us. Genesis 1, verses 1 and verse 3, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 3, and, there's the three words, and God said. And if you read Genesis over and over and over, it says, and God said, then God said, and God said, until we get to Genesis 1, and he does something unique. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So God's speaking, God opening his mouth to utter those words did more than create the universe we live in and the planet we live on. But that speaking was the first step in him revealing himself to us. That's why humanity stands apart, stands distinct in the universe. Because Genesis 1.27 says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. On Wednesday nights, we have prayer meeting at 6.30 in here. It's a little less formal than our Wednesday morning, uh, Sunday mornings. But we, we teach some pretty rich theology. We're actually going through systematic theology on Wednesday nights. I know that fires many of you up, but it's good stuff. And uh, this is one of the truths we've been teaching, the uniqueness that, that we are unique in all creation because we're made in his image. John 17 verse 5 takes it further and says, Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus didn't show up as a baby. Jesus had always been before the world existed. So God created us to glorify him. That's why singing and talking about Jesus is built into the DNA of every believer. That's why Isaiah 43 verse 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. That's why 1 Corinthians 10 31 says, Whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Friend, listen, the fact that mankind even exists today, the very reason we'll never be an endangered species is that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by God to glorify God, meaning we will always have significance in this life and the next because we're not going to stop glorifying it, right? And there's no greater measure of purpose that you could have in life. If you came in here wondering what your purpose in life is, there's your purpose according to God. He created you. He ought to know what he built you for. <laughs> Step one, God revealed himself to man by opening his mouth to create mankind. Step two, God opens the heavens to speak to us from creation. He spoke us into creation, then he spoke to us from creation, right? And let me just pause here and say, this word revelation, all right, it means God is making truth about himself known to us that could not be known any other way, right? So revelation is the communication of truth from God to mankind. 
And there's two types of revelation that we can explain from Scripture. These are the names we call them. The first is called general revelation, and the second is special revelation. General revelation is based on God's creation. It's a message that's been addressed to all humanity through general revelation, like in in, uh, nature's beauty, in humanity's pain, in the infinite vastness of the universe, right? And though we perceive these things by observation... The Bible does mention them, uh, This what we label as general revelation. Psalm 19 is an example of this. You know this verse, many of you. Psalm 19, 1 through 4. The heavens, listen to all these words for speaking. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world nine times. These are the same words Paul uses over in Romans 10, verse 16, where it's talking about how will they, how will they know unless someone is sent and how will they, unless they hear the gospel and it go, you know, he's making that argument, someone needs to go. But then he answers his own argument, Romans 10, 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Like nobody's doing, you know, we're, we're preaching and no one's getting saved. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. And here's where he quotes Psalm 19.4. Their voice has gone out to all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Verse 20, then Isaiah is so bold as to say, church listen to this. I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. I did not ask for God. He came and revealed himself to me. And if you know who God is, he's revealed himself to you. The purpose of God's general revelation of himself is that all would have sufficient light. John 1 verse 9 says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And he does give light to everyone. Sufficient light. Right? But if a man does not respond to that sufficient light, that general revelation, they'll be held responsible and accountable without excuse. Romans 1 verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. How were they darkened? Because they didn't respond to the sufficient light they had to move toward Christ, and so they got less light. General revelation is limited now, right? It's limited because it doesn't speak of the full gospel of Jesus, right? So it's not enough revelation to save us. But it is enough revelation to elicit our response. God opens his mouth and speaks us into creation. God opens the heavens to speak to us from creation. And third, God opens his word to speak through its fulfillment. And this is where we enter deeper into the Luke 24 text this morning. It's interesting that at least four times in this passage, we read about the things. What are y'all talking about? The things. Well, what things? Luke 24, 14. And they were talking with 
with each other about all these things that had happened. When Jesus asked them the question in Luke 24, 17, what's this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? How did they answer that question? They stood still looking sad because they're like, gosh, he doesn't even know what bad things have just happened. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened? I mean, there's like alerts. It's like Amber Alerts going off on your phone. I mean, you can't not hear them. There's alarms going off like tornado warnings. I mean, how can you not know what's just happened? And he said to them, what things? And so this is so funny to me. They proceed to tell Jesus <laughs> about these things. Oh, please tell me, right? Now, surely by now, if you've watched TV in the last six months, you've seen the Capital One commercial where uh, the electric guitarist from Guns N' Roses, uh, anybody know who that is? I'm just testing you. Y'all act like y'all listen to K-Love all day, but I know. You dip over there in some of that 80s music, all right? So Slash is auditioning for this, this, this little garage band. And of course, when he starts playing, all the other audition, you know, all the guys waiting in line, they just get up and walk out. And, uh, and you know, the leader of the band's like, you're in, you know. Isaiah even pointed out, my son, he's like, look at all of them in the background. The whole band's cheering, the drummer's cheering. You're like, we got it. We got a good electric guitarist, all right? And this story reminds me of that, of course, on a grander scale, you know. They have no idea who they're talking to. And when Jesus asked them what things, they proceeded to tell him. Uh, verse 19, Luke 24, 19, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, you know. Uh, our, our chief priests and rulers crucified him. We, we wanted him to be our savior, but you know, it's now the third day since these things happened. There's really no hope left, right? I mean, we even had these women that had this vision of angels and we went and checked it out by ourselves and you know. So they mention all these details. Now listen, this is just a little caveat for you, a little side note. Uh, Speaking of details, this is the first of three resurrection appearances in the book of Luke. And uh, we know one of the two men that were walking on the road. And it's kind of unusual that there'd be two men walking and they only name one of them, Cleopas, right? That's verse 18. But I believe that the other one is Luke himself. And now this isn't scripturally proven, but this is one of the longest stories in the book of Luke. There's no other gospel that records it. Mark refers to it like with one verse overview and it has very specific personal details. So I think Luke was with Cleopas, right? But how does Jesus respond to their historical recap of all these things? What does he say? And these are some sad words, all right? Oh, foolish ones. Oh, slow of heart to believe what? All that the prophets have spoken. Y'all, I look around at our Christians today and we look at what's going on in the world and they, we act as if we didn't know what the Bible says. <laughs> I mean, the Bible says we're going to suffer as believers. I mean, and we haven't even begun to really, right? I think we're all on the soccer fields with our kids on Saturday mornings and football games. I mean, life goes on. And he's saying, God, do you not believe this? Church, this is the third message in a row where Jesus, where, that I've preached, where Jesus' questions lead to his interpretation of the Bible, right? 
a Bible he inspired. And by the way, anytime, just as a reminder, anytime you see the words Scripture or Moses and the prophets referred to in the New Testament, it's talking about the Bible, the written Word of God. That's what he's saying. Earlier, we spoke of the general revelation of creation, but the Bible is what we call special revelation. Special because it's inspired by God and its internal facts support its claims. In the Old Testament alone, the Bible declares almost 3,800 times God said, thus says the Lord. We saw this in our first point this morning. God is said to speak through his prophets with messages to his people. 1 Kings 14, 18, 2 Kings 9, 36, Jeremiah 37, verse 2. We read last week in 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is God-breathed. And all refers to the complete Old Testament and New Testament texts that were written at the time 2 Timothy was written. Right? And according to 2 Peter 3.15, 1 Timothy 5.18, 1 Corinthians 14.37, Luke and Paul's writings were also Scripture. And that's just the internal evidence, right? There's also all this external fact supporting the Bible's claims. First, it's continuity. Did y'all know the Bible's written by almost 40 authors over a 1,600-year period on three different continents in a multitude, a variety of conditions, and yet the Bible is uniquely one book, not 66 different, not a collection of 66 books, but one book. It's beyond the scope of man's capacity to write a book like the Bible apart from divine origin. It's impossible. Second, it's fulfilled prophecy. This is the very point Jesus is making and revealing. The Bible has nearly 2,000 prophecies. More than 25%, I think it's approximately 27% of the Bible is prophecy. Predictions of things to come. And more than half of those things happened precisely as they said they would. Jesus himself in his three little year ministry on earth fulfilled over 300 prophecies. And he's revealing in this story that he's still fulfilling prophecies. Third, it's historical accuracy. The Bible records the histories of dozens of people groups all over the world across centuries of times with no historical errors. Not to mention the archaeological evidence that is continuing to be dug up to prove the, the evidences of Scripture. Not that we need it. Fourth, is the Bible's human impact. Scripture has changed the course of human history and it continues to impact the lives of millions of individuals all around the world who've been radically changed by its message. Fifth, it's cure for sin. It's cure for sin. The Bible alone fully describes man's condition in sin as it really is. And it demonstrates the impossibility for man to deal with his sinfulness apart from God's solution in the person and death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Every other religion in the world has man seeking to obtain his own salvation or somehow gain God's favor by some form of human works or religious activity. Sixth, the Bible's conviction of sin through the Holy Spirit. The Word of God contains the Spirit of God to teach us, but the Holy Spirit also works in us to help teach us. We know this from John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Church, don't miss this. Luke 24, 27. Beginning with Moses and the prophets, 
Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He's like, this is about me. Look, just look what I've done. This is me. What steps does Jesus take to reveal himself to you and me? He opens his mouth and speaks us into creation. He opens the heavens to speak to us from creation. He opens his word to speak to us through its fulfillment and forth. Praise God, he opens our eyes to speak to us by recognition, right? Church, if, let me just say this. If we recognize who Jesus is, it's only Jesus who let you know it. He could, because of our sin, keep us from seeing him. We know that from Luke 24, 16. <laughs> he kept himself. He kept them from recognizing him. But he is progressively making himself known. Hallelujah. <laughs> Luke 24, 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly saying, oh, stay with us. For it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with him, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. Let's, let me just tell you all something. Friend, Bible study and personal intellect aren't enough to know about Jesus. We need God and his Holy Spirit to tear the, the, the blinders off of our eyes to help us recognize him. I love how one scholar put it. They're near Emmaus and the Lord Jesus is still playing with them. <laughs> it's good to know our Lord really does have a playful side. J.C. Ryle states that Christ does not always force his gifts upon us unsought and unsolicited. He loves to draw out our desires and to compel us to exercise our spiritual affections by waiting for our prayers. In other words, the Lord likes to be sought and desired. And he was drawing that out of the disciples. Perhaps that's why it doesn't come to us so quickly and easily in our times of prayer and Bible reading. He's pulling out of us our truer and deeper desire for him. That's what he was doing on the road to Emmaus. What a beautiful step in the process of making himself known. Hallelujah. Praise him. He's alive. And he is making himself known by speaking us into creation, by speaking to us from creation, by speaking through the Bible's fulfillment, and by speaking to us by our recognition of who he is. Y'all listen just for a minute. Jesus acted like he was walking by. Right? He had intended to stay, but he was acting like he was walking by. But can you imagine if they had not called out to him to stay? I love what my father-in-law, my father-in-law and I were, we were having dinner. My in-laws were at our house Friday night, I think. And we were uh, talking about this passage. And he said, if they had allowed Jesus to pass by and not called him in to stay, Jesus would still be alive. But they would be living as though we were dead. And I would love to see the day where the church and its believers stop living like Jesus is dead. He's alive. He's not a hat on Easter Sunday. He's alive. He's alive every day of the week. We could celebrate Easter every day of the week because he's alive every day. We're going to partake of the Lord's Supper today before our time of response. And it's a perfect story for a perfect 
a day to take the perfect reminder of, of God's revelation to mankind. Luke 24, 32 says, uh, through verse 35, these are wonderful words to camp out this message. They said to each other, so, so after Jesus disappears, they're sitting there like, man. It says, did not our hearts burn within us while, we talked to, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he's appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. These guys had just walked seven miles away from Jerusalem, and now something happened. And they turned around and walked seven miles back to get this word out. Church, the Lord is still making himself known to us. And of all things, he does that through the breaking of bread. And so I want us to celebrate the Lord's Supper together today before our time of response. And I want to read to you a passage from 1 Corinthians 11, 23 that's pretty self-explanatory. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Would you stand? After I pray, we're going to be uh, taking the Lord's Supper. And if you haven't ever taken the Lord's Supper here before, if you're a follower of Christ, when after I pray, when I say amen, you'll be dismissed to one of the tables uh, around. There's five tables. There's some in the back on the sides and down front. If you come to a table and there's no cups left, just make your way to another one. I, I'm pretty sure we have plenty today. And uh, you'll take two cups. The bottom cup has the bread. The top cup has the wine. So grab both cups. Make your way back to your seat. And I'm not going to give you further instructions. You can pray. You may need to explain some things to your children uh, if they don't understand what's going on. And then partake of the Lord's Supper on your own. Then what we'll do is we'll stand back up after that. And we'll close in a time of response, a time where people can uh, make any professions of faith public. Uh, someone may need prayer today in person, not just over the phone. And so you can come forward if you need prayer. And then some may want to come and, and make this church their home. It'd be a great day to join a church on Easter and be part of the service of God through the local church. And so whatever the decision is, I pray you'll make that at that time of response. And let me pray for our Lord's Supper. Father God, we love you and we thank you that you revealed yourself through the breaking of bread and you're still doing it. I remember as a child taking the Lord's Supper. I actually, I remember not being able to take the Lord's Supper. And it made me wonder about what this story was. And Lord, the, the Lord's Supper is about Jesus his body that was broken and his blood that was poured out for us so that we might have hope of redemption salvation and faith because 
you've made yourself known to us. You've allowed us to recognize you. I pray if there's people in here that don't recognize you today, that they would know and recognize you. Lord, I pray that as we take these elements, Lord, we're, not we're taking them symbolically, not as an act of salvation, but as an act of reminder of what you've done for us. May you be honored in the breaking of the bread as we partake in it, as we take, partake of the juice representing your blood. And you be honored as we glorify you, not just in mourning what you did, but in praising how you finished rising up from the grave. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can make yourself to one of those stations.
let Jesus walk past your home any longer. Run out your door and yell to him. <laughs> Come and stay in this house. The body is the temple of the Lord. And so the house is your soul. <laughs> it's your body he lives in. When you trust in him and you ask him to forgive your sins and save you, make him the Lord of your life. I pray you'll do that today if you don't know him. For others that may be looking for a place to serve, we, we would love for you to make your home here. Lord God, we pray you'd be with this time of invitation. Thank you for the Lord's Supper. The reminder it is, and thank you for your word. In Jesus' name. This has been sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.